Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's be realistic. Toxic cultures has always existed. We cannot say that the number of toxic behaviors in organizations have increased or not, but the real change is on how people feel about it. I'm thinking about my personal life. So 20 years ago, you would hear some disrespectful jokes and you would say, yeah, that's how the guys have fun. Or you would be, you would be a little bit bullied and you say, yes, that's how you build character. Especially bosses would say that. Today, we really feel bad, excluded, and we simply know that these behaviors are not right. I have many questions about where this thing about toxic cultures is going. What's the future like for these damn toxic cultures? And I have invited a monument of HR and future of work and culture. So today, my guest is Ira Wolf. He is the number one global thought leader on future of work and top 10 for HR. He's one of the HR's most visionary thinkers in managing the convergence of the tire, the wire, and technology. Ira is a TEDx speaker and chief Googleization officer of Poise for the Future company. He's also the host of Geek Geezer's Googleization podcast. And by the way, I highly recommend that podcast. It is a podcast about changing the way people talk about the future of work. And he's also an author. And we are going to be discussing a little bit more about his the type of books that he, he writes. Ira, welcome today for, the, for this episode. I'm so glad and impressed. And I mentioned to you just before we started about hosting you today. According to you, what would be the reasons that businesses would get an F for their work culture. Well, thanks very much, Ivan. And I really appreciate being here and for the uh, kind introduction. Uh, I don't, I, I think we just have a limited amount of time, but the list for the reasons why companies have a toxic culture is uh, it, it's endless, it's infinite. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, as much as the pandemic created an opportunity for organizations to reevaluate re where they were. Yeah. Uh, it seems the news uh, each day of companies figuring out how to make it worse, how to trip over their own feet, how to turn away client, turn away employees, uh, how to, is just, it's just mind boggling. Uh, and and in, in that same tone, it creates an opportunity because there are some companies that are really embracing it, really looking for the ways to create uh, meaningful work, um, help people on the, you know, recognize or, or recognize that people matter, um, that there, there's a huge opportunity. I mean, but the bar is set really, really low. Uh, most companies can at this point can almost trip over success of having a better culture than their competitor. Uh, just because organizations, just management, just keeps finding new ways to to make it worse. <laughs> but what is really crazy is that, <clears throat> so, and I mentioned a little bit in the introduction that it's not like companies are getting worse. It's that the way we feel about it 
it is a little bit more sensitive. And, and you pointed out to the fact that during COVID, we had the time to rethink about is about life purpose. We had the, the time to think a little bit more about having a meaningful, balanced life. And this is where we have noticed that, hey, this is not right. Because I still remember this, the comments that I mentioned to you, and I'm probably in your in your experience life, you have seen the, the, this these trends. We it was so natural. It was a little bit like you remember when the, there was this uh, at work we people could smoke, and, and it was natural. And so same way, toxic behaviors back then it was like the normality, and we were accepting it because this is the way things work. But today we we don't accept it, right? Well, it's funny. I'm I'm laughing because I think I've got a, a few years on you, maybe a few decades. Um, so I've been around for a while. Um, but when you talk about smoking in the office, which is somewhat recent, or going in the restaurants and bars and wherever you went, uh, you know, think about smoking in hospital rooms. Yeah. I mean, doctors used to come in with a cigarette in their hand with oxygen there or in an airplane. You know, it's... It, and again, you know, young, younger people, and probably and when I say that, it's probably people born within the last 30, 40 years haven't experienced that. But yeah, it was it was pretty bizarre. But that was normal behavior back then. Um, but as, as you as you so we're, we're learning the new ways and, and some of the ways that we found that we're, that we're still struggling with and, and experimenting with. And, 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 and there was a great opportunity Going back to 2020, 2021, companies were trying to reevaluate, you know, where they were. But let's just go back because it's almost three years now. It's almost exactly three years ago uh, as we're recording this that we went into lockdown. And completely uh, globally, I mean, to, to imagine that we would go into a global lockdown, quarantine, people, people couldn't go out of their homes, they couldn't go to restaurants, businesses were shut down, couldn't cross borders, couldn't do all that stuff. And so we spent a lot of time on Zoom and and Teams and, and calls just like this. It, but it gave us an opportunity, especially for consultants and, and, and people who were really focused on this, to, to hear from C, people that we most, we usually couldn't hear from, CEOs. Yeah. Um, of organizations, uh, senior leaders uh, that were willing to share what their experience was. And they became incredibly vulnerable. They, I, I can't say they became, but they showed their vulnerability. They showed their authenticity. They, the world became transparent. I mean, I, mean, I remember being on, on calls with um, you know, CEOs of Clorox and you know, some companies that that were completely disrupted, you know, because everybody needed disinfectant, um, but also companies that shut down. And uh, there was, um, I'm drawing a blank on what his name was, but uh, he was one of the commanders uh, from Afghanistan, a retired general, and talked about deployment and logistics. And he was talking about the supply chain. And while they were on the call, what would have been completely inappropriate let's say, before this, that all of a sudden in the middle of a call, a dog, a cat jumps up on the desk, a dog comes up, uh, a grandchild comes into the room, they pick them up and go, oh, hey, meet my granddaughter or greet my grandson, Walker or Waylon or Janie or Susie and puts them on and say hi to the crowd. And 
a month before that, that would have been completely inappropriate and the meetings would have never been remote. But all of a sudden, people started to share their vulnerability. You saw what it was like to look inside uh, of their, what the, how they lived, what their life was more, and that they actually weren't just a CEO. Um, it wasn't a, a person in an ivory tower, but they were people with family. And you, and you saw another side and vice versa. It gave senior leaders an opportunity to see how people were living. And, and what it was like to live in a one, you know, a studio apartment, 700 square feet with three roommates uh, and all scrambling to do that. So it was like, thank goodness, we finally kind of broke through the world and we had this level of transparency and authenticity and vulnerability. And we, we talked about it for years and we're going to get it. And then we, it, soon as the call went back to work, and then you look two years later, three years later, is, oh, everybody has to come back into the office. Hmm. And the office before wasn't that good. People showed up. But when you look at Gallup's, you know, most many people are familiar with Gallup's survey, and this is, glo this is worldwide, Gallup's uh, engagement survey, uh, it really is for 30 to 40 years, the level of engagement within organizations has been about 30%. And only 30% of the three out of 10 employees were engaged. 70% were disengaged. And we're not talking oh, a little unhappy. No, we're talking disengaged. 70% are disengaged. Uh, so that's the world, that was the normal we had wanted to go back to. And what they broke through was, wow, we can have vulnerability and authenticity and transparency. Let's either continue that, or if we bring people back to the workplace, back to the office, how can we continue that rather than just going back to that same, um, you know, corporate living, you know, having five, 10 or 50 floors, um, management was was separated. They might've even been a separate, a different building and they blew it. They completely blew it. And so now there's this raging battle, and this fits into our conversation about culture, about having a, a toxic culture versus a thriving culture, is you can't have a thriving culture or a good culture just by bringing people back to work who also resent the fact that they have to come back to work. They resent the fact that they're going to have to, to fight commuting because now, now they maybe their lives are still busy and active, but they don't spend an hour or two hours or three hours every day on the road or using public transportation, however they got to work, because now they had an hour to go to the gym or spend with their kids or just lay back or walk their dog or take a hike, whatever it might be. And they go, no, no, you can't do that anymore. Sure. You have to be in work and then to get back to work and half the people are not there because some are flexible, some are on leave. Um, and so they're in work talking to people remotely that they could do from home. Yeah. I mean, so it's just bizarre. But that's that's a new level of toxic toxicity because now people resent being there. The other part of this is it's also not only were, I'll go back to Gallup and then I'll shut up for a second. And I'm sure you have another couple of questions that I generated. One of the things about Gallup survey, they talked about engagement, but somewhat recently, and I don't remember the exact year, 
they started to measure engagement and thriving. So they, which is two different things. So you can have people that are engaged, but they're really thriving. And thriving was what's, they're not just workers. They're not just engaged at work, but do they feel that they're connected to work and that they're part, that, that their lives are good. They're better because they're working in this organization. So they started to measure engagement and thriving. And the numbers are abysmal. Only 9% of the working population is both engaged and thriving. 57%, almost six out of 10, are not engaged and not thriving. So you, you take that 30% number and go, well, it's increasing a little bit. So yeah, it goes up to 31, 32%. It's still bad because you have disengaged, but it's not only helping people become disengaged, it's not only fixing that part, but in order to, to have them engaged, you have to look at the whole person. You have to look at their well-being. You have to look at what's their life like and how can you improve that if you're going to put them back on the road for an hour or two hours or three hours every day and bring them back into an environment that really wasn't fixed before. And now you have all this controversy. So it's really complicated. And just one more thing on this. When they break down the thriving part, uh, Gallup also does a global emotions report, and they looked at the they they look at f uh, ten factors. They and and hope I sometimes remember all of them, but they look at things like uh, on a positive side. Did you experience joy yesterday? Did did you experience any joy? Did you were did you feel respected yesterday? Did you learn something yesterday? So those, that's three out of the five. And then they look at the negative side. What negative emotions did you experience? Mm -hmm. And the negative emotions is, were you sad yesterday? Were you worried yesterday? Were you angry yesterday? Were you in physical pain yesterday? So pretty simple stuff. When they put the scores together, they found that if you scored, if, if all five of the negative emotions, you said, yes, I'm, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm worried, I'm stressed, and I'm in pain. One-fifth of the workforce, 19% worldwide, said that they could check off all those boxes. Aye. So not only is 70% of the workforce disengaged, is 57% are not thriving as well, but 19% are miserable. And lonely. Hmm. And you go, okay, so we're bringing these people back. The opportunity is enormous to give them a place that they want to go or, or giving them an organization. And I want to save a place. Creating a culture that allows them to become engaged, to feel like they matter, to thrive. And I mean, we're literally handing an opportunity to every business in the world to be able to do this. And they go, uh, that sounds complicated. No, we're just going to bring everybody back to work. So what is what is really crazy on what you're saying is, is the lack of understanding of human needs, in fact, because you, and you made good to differentiate this story about engagement and thriving, because in order to thrive, we need to have a kind of a sense of autonomy so that we have the choice that if we want, we can go 
back to the office uh, or we can stay at home because we do certain activities better at, at, at home and we can balance uh, a little bit more our uh, our lives. And that comes to the point of, of pointing out this department or these people who was so hated just before COVID, human resources people, right? Because they became like a machine, a production machine of paper and the human side of, of these guys from human resource was not so many people were quite positive about the outcomes so they, that, that they were producing. According to you, this um, is HR today fulfilling this human side in human resources or have they improved really? Have they become a little bit more key in order to transform? And, and by the way, is, is these human resources people are the ones who have, half of them have a degree in psychology and they should be understanding human beings. Do they today understand a little bit more human beings? I don't want to slight my <laughs> HR friends. Um, <laughs> I knew they, that you were going to say that. <laughs> because the, their intentions are incredible. They're compassionate. They're, you're right. Some have psychology degrees, some don't. Some are just genuinely nice people. Some yeah. came from different worlds. They came from business, marketing, sales, uh, and moved into HR uh, you know, other people came more traditional routes, but but I would say that most people that are in HR, and again, I've spoken at small meetings and I've spoken, you know, to to the to the annual meetings where there's you know tens of thousands of people there, and the result is, I mean, they have good intentions; they're good people, but the outcomes. I mean, just having good intentions doesn't mean that you can, you know, turn turn this ship around on a dime. Uh, it takes time. It's complicated. And HR, it, it's beyond complicated. It's complex. That there's a lot of moving parts. If you squeeze, it's like a balloon. If you squeeze this part, another part bulges out. It's like whack-a-mole, even more than a balloon. Um, that it, things keep popping up. It's incredibly complicated. I mean, it, just talking about HR, we talk about it as one entity. And, mm -hmm. you know, that goes from creating a company culture uh, down to paying people on time. And 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 they all have, you know, so many variations. But getting back to your question is, you know, where's HR in this? So the intentions are good. There's a lot of good conversations. But there, but it's so complex. And without management, I mean, you know, really recognizing HR. It, it, when I entered this field with about 30 years ago, when I changed one career and moved into it, the big conversation for years at that point, but it was really heated, was getting a seat at the table. You know, you need to be respected. Here's the skills you need. You need to bring business acumen to the table. Here's the seat. Well, they got the seat, but it didn't mean that the other people at the table were listening. So it sort of said, yes, HR needs to be here because we, we need to hire people, we need to retain people, we need bigger strategies and companies got larger and, and all those things. So people's strategy became a, a really key component of it. But when it came down to the really crucial decisions, they weren't, nobody listened and they didn't have that key component. So uh, let me give you an example. I mean, I just saw it. Um, I, was today or yesterday. I mean, it's like, okay, Zoom or uh, Zoom, um, 
Facebook, Meta, mm-hmm. just laid off another mm-hmm. 10,000 people. So companies are just randomly, you know, either saying everybody needs to come back to work, doesn't matter what your feelings are, what your circumstances are, or you're just getting laid off. Okay, understands companies need to lay off people. But I'd really wonder how much HR had a role in determining the future of the workforce in doing that. By laying off 10 or 15 or 20,000 people, what's their future look like? How are they going to recruit? How are they going to retain? What, you know, there, there's, the, there's a lot of good research that shows that every time a company, that laying off people in the long run never creates the ROI that was expected. Mm-hmm. And it, again, just repeating, something repeating. So yes, the tech sector is down worldwide. It's being disrupted. There's things, that, you know, AI is advanced with things like ChatGPT is now in everybody's hands. So there's all these things going on. And go, listen, the strategy that we had in place last year or for the last few years is no longer valid. We need to restructure. And maybe some of the people that we have aren't the right people. We're going to have new products, new services. Get it. But I still don't see where, and I, I don't know this personally, but uh, I don't know the role that HR played in that. Now, I do know in a lot of smaller and medium-sized companies, where especially privately owned companies, where the, where the where HR becomes, hey, we need to make a decision that we're going to lay off X number of people. And so you go execute it. Hmm. You make sure everybody's notified, make sure all the paperwork, the regulations, you know, that we were in compliance. But it, but layoffs become a cost-cutting administrative compliance issue. And it's still detached from the future. And then when the economy rebounds and the company needs people back again, they call in HR and go, Oh, hey, forget all that compliance regulation stuff. We got good news. We're going to hire again. And then you go back to the market and there is no market because labor shortages, the the labor market, uh, you know, I've been talking about this for 25 years, the perfect labor storm. There's just, and especially in the U.S., I know that market better than most. There's just not enough people that have the skills. So we have the lowest working age population uh, in relationship to under 18 and over 65 in our history. And it's not going to get any better over the next few years, especially without immigration. And at least in the U.S., immigration is not going to happen because it's too politically volatile uh, to make that happen. So we have a shrinking population. Um, the the lifespan of a skill that people need is less than five years now. So the new skills and even if you have the skill today, you didn't have it. Uh, they There was a recent study by Burning Glass Institute and uh, Wiley and a few other organizations. Um, and they they determined that one, th- I got to get the numbers right. Uh, the 37% of the skills of the average US worker have changed in the last five years. So one, one a third of the skills have changed. And for higher tech jobs and more complex roles, 75% of the skills that were required five years ago have changed today. So in addition to not having the bodies, they don't have the skills. And then depending on which industry, it's going to vary. That's the reality. And there's no quick fix. 
if we if we change our and without an immigration policy, if we fix our education system, that's going to take years for people to get, gain the skills or even on short upskilling and reskilling. It could take a year or two or three, depending on what it is. Uh, and, you know, if we have new if we increase our birth rates, that's at least 18 years <laughs> until unless we do it genetically and 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 instead of growing <laughs> Instead of creating genetically created sheep, we we have genetically created people, which isn't going to happen. There is no quick fix to this. So going back to, you know, we're not addressing, you know, we talk about how complicated when we talk about toxic culture. There's a billion reasons why, but it still doesn't seem that that senior management grasps how important it is to have a company culture that people want to work for because the support simple supply and demand there is no supply this is a shortage that we cannot fix on the short term partially some jobs will become automated it's like okay we got to become more efficient automate get it but now we need people the four four fastest growing jobs in in the world high demand uh jobs high growth high demand jobs AI and machine learning. We don't have enough people that understand that. So if you're going to automate, you're going to need those people. Uh, cloud computing, uh, product management, and the third's really the fourth is really interesting. Social media manager is the fourth highest high demand, high growth job. So those are the four entities. And it doesn't mean just knowing how to post and like and do that. So, I mean, we're, we're talking much more sophisticated plans, especially with all the platforms out there. But if, if those are the, the high demand, high growth jobs, where do we get the people in the short term? And if you automate, you automatically need the, the AI talent, you need the cloud computing talent, you probably need product, might need product management talent. And you know, and again, just to promote the business, what you're doing and getting the messaging out, uh, you're going to need a social media management. And that could be internal, by the way. Social media management, just not external. It's just not Facebook. It's sometimes using Slack. I mean, it's sometimes internally. How do we get engagement? How do we build that engagement with the community? So it's there's just this huge disconnect. And because we're talking about it here, and I really appreciate the opportunity and you're bringing an awareness to it. It means that people are talking about it. People get it. I wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't matter. And I wouldn't be talking about it if companies, if I wasn't learning from companies that were doing it right. So it's being done well and it's being done right, but it's not being done enough because people think that, oh, we're going to, we're going to create a Facebook page to build our community. Yeah. That's like 2008 stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That ship has sailed. Man, I mean, it has sailed. And and you know, again, there's just too much trying to fix things with technology, which I'm all for technology and it's an incredible part, but it's no longer let's let's open a Slack channel. I don't know how many Slack channels that I've been invited to be on, but I can tell you I don't check a lot of them because they they're you, there's only so many hours in the day and you got to focus your time. I focus on the ones and I participate in the ones that are valuable. 
not just to say, hey, if I need you in a hurry, I'm going to post something. No, text me. I'll, I'll still go back to old technology. Or better yet, pick up the phone. Leave a message for, you know, call me, leave a message. So there's, there's still time to use old technology, but companies are just, they're just grasping at straws and by doing it wrong. And I'm not saying that we don't need all these things. What happens is they, they do it without thinking through the experience of it. And uh, we work with a company called Avanti. They they are a cybersecurity company. It was really odd that that I was that how my relationship started with them, because they reached out to me about their employee experience, and I thought it was about internal. And they're focused on the digital employee experience. Mm-hmm. They found out that one out of five workers quit because of a bad digital employee experience. And. And, and and that simply is, hey, I got to work and I can't log in, or I have lousy internet, or this is too confusing, or this, uh, or I need help and they can't get it, uh, or somebody just told me to go one more channel. There's one organization that I know very well, and they they decided they're going to improve their processes, they're going to organize, and they have teams, they have Asana. Um, they have multiple, it, it's like every day there's another tool and you go, oh, this will fix the problem. And fortunately, I don't have to be too involved with it, but it's driving everybody crazy because it's way too much. It's overwhelming and people can't get their work done because it's like, where was that proposal form? And they go, oh, we moved it from this folder to that folder in this system and that system. And why don't you, if you need something, go on Slack it's just too complicated and say, I don't have time for this. I'm not doing my work. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere else. And it's Mm -hmm. not productive. That's going back. That's part of a toxic culture. It's not just bad bosses anymore. Exactly. I I just wanted to highlight something that has a stay with me out of this conversation. So you were mentioning about um of firing people uh and this decision making might be sometimes a little bit like um the factors how you decide um about firing people it, it might be a little bit compromised and this is where maybe the influence of toxic work cultures uh comes to to place because we tend to fire people who are not like us like I mean, people who are might might be different. So this is the, it would be people who belongs to small communities. Uh, so people who are different than the norm of, of, of the culture. So people with disability, people who are too old, uh, people with uh, certain genders. Uh, the, it might be people who are just not part of this um, uh place where you are in contest constantly in competition people who don't want to play the game of uh backstabbing each other because this is a competition and and, and so on so there might be there, there might be some areas about how uh human resources or management in, in corporations are deciding uh of getting rid of people that might also enhance this uh the uh the, the workplace that is a little bit more toxic now you in your books 
you talk uh, you talk a lot uh, about agility you talk about work cultures and and i remember somewhere i i i saw that this principle of shift or die that you mentioned in one of your books i don't remember which one by the way <clears throat> yeah recruiting in the age of googleization oh okay okay so how applicable is about is is this principle about toxic cultures. So is there a, a way to explain that if you don't change, you are going to be out of business? Yeah, I, it still holds true. I mean, it is shift or die. Uh, and now it could be a slow death. Um, there are certain organizations, certain businesses, certain locations uh, that you certainly can get away with it. I mean, the time span uh, is going to, is much longer. But there's others that are, it's it's now. I mean, the, the future is 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 now. The future is almost past. Um, mm. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and, and but shift or die isn't just an organization. I mean, it's just not an HR thing. It's not a management thing. It's not a strategic thing. Uh, it it really is a. It's a it's an individual. I mean, we spend we we look a lot at as individuals. How do you help people become comfortable with change? We talk about, uh, and now the neuroscience is proving this, um, that I learned a term about three years ago. Uh, he was on one of our, from John Sinai, he was on one of our, our, our podcasts. And um, he talked about an addiction. He exposed me to this. And we're addicted to certainty. Humans are addicted to certainty. And it was like a catchy phrase. And I go, yeah, that makes sense. You know, people just don't like change. But it's true. There, there literally is the neuroscience shows that the, the chemical releases and the stimulations is that we truly are, are when, when we're asked to change or do something foreign or and it could be because we don't have the confidence to do it or we think it's a crazy idea. Whatever reason it is, is that the, the chemicals and the electrical impulses start firing all over the place in the exact same way is if we were on psychedelics mm. or drugs. And therefore we, we have this true addiction to certainty. And that's where by continuing, continuing that what happens with most addictions is you die or you have a lot of chronic, you know, debilitating, debilitating life. So there, there are people that are really struggling, which feeds back into those sadness and the worry and the anger and the physical. It, it feeds back into that. The sources that we have disengagement and lack of thriving and so many people are miserable, you know, can be traced back to some of the neuroscience that we're discovering. So we have this, so we have this addiction to certainty. That's the opportunities. How do we create an opportunity? How can companies help people individually? Uh, one is become more adaptable and not just for business to thrive in life. If I've always believed if you help people find a solution that helps them solve a personal family problem, they're indebted to you. They appreciate you. You help them find the solution to something that they thought was unsolvable or unfixable, or why would my boss care that I don't have childcare? Why don't, why would they care that I've got a a a a, a, a um, an older parent who who needs me for caregiving or whatever the situation might be, is that when you provide people with the skills 
not to fix it, but to manage it and to learn to adapt and help them become better, or at least to get through it, then you create a bond that people aren't going to just leave for another dollar or 50 cents. And so there's a huge opportunity for organizations to provide some simple skill sets to people, which then in turn, indirectly, starts to fix the toxic culture because they're less disengaged, they're less miserable, they're, they start to have a better personal life. But it's not just fixing people because that's what companies want to do. Companies want to fix people. Let's go, oh yeah, let's give people more grit. If they're more gritty, then they won't worry about it. They they can they can tough they, they can persevere through anything, and let's teach them resilience because they're buzzwords and they're important. But if if you don't help people develop a growth mindset, then they're not going to be able to apply the grit and resilience. Hmm. And so the studies have shown that there's five dimensions that are really really critical to helping people become more adaptable. If they're more adaptable, then they shift and not die. And if they do that, now they're engaged and thriving, which then changes your culture because culture is only the aggregate of all the people's emotions hmm. and beliefs. That's all it is. I mean, it's simple. I mean, people say, oh, we have this company culture. It's like building a home that nobody comes to, you know, or you walk in and go, oh, I thought it would look different. Oh, I don't like the color of paint. I mean, basically it's, okay, let's create an aggregate of all the people's emotions and belief, and no matter what the company used to think a culture was, it's now just the aggregate of all the people within there. It's the values and beliefs and, and behaviors of that group. So if you can change the behaviors of the people, then you basically fix or you, you mitigate the toxic culture. The toxic culture is only the result of all the people. So you, you've got to fix that. And what they do is they say, well, let's create a new, let's put them in a new box or let's dangle a new carrot in front of them or give them a, you know, we'll, we'll give them half, half a, a Friday off every three months. Um, yeah, that used to work. Um, but if you, but it didn't change toxic culture, it just made it tolerable that I can spend four less hours at work, you know, once a quarter. Um, and, and that was supposed to to at least say, listen, we're going to give you a break from the toxic culture. That that's it. That, we're not going to fix it, but we're going to give you a four hour break, or, or we'll do a four day work week, and you won't have to come in Fridays or stay at home. And at least we'll give you a break from our toxic culture. Uh, the reality is, you need to fix the toxic culture, and one of the ways to do that is to, is is part of it is to address, help people, deal with change better, and that goes from senior leaders down to frontline workers. Yeah, because everybody has a problem. The other part of that, though, is part of this model that we work with that looks at grit, resilience, growth mindset. It also looks at unlearning. You know, how do we help people unlearn the bad behaviors and then mental flexibility, be able to manage all this vast amount of information that we have? A lot of it's misinformation, too. But how do you teach people to, to deal with all this cognitive dissonance? So those are the five adaptability skills. But you also have to look at the company culture because management always says, let's look at a course or let's look at a skill and we'll buy a video series and they can watch uh, how to grow their grit in an hour. You know, hmm. or we'll teach them empathy. I love this. We're going to teach people empathy by a self-study course, uh, a video course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, that, that's going to fix empathy. 
But the flip side of that is changing the culture. So the components of a, of a culture, at least the measure, doesn't fix it, is do the individuals feel that they have company support? Does, do they think that management has their back? And I'll bet you those that hundreds of thousands of tech workers that are being laid off don't necessarily believe that management had their had their back. And they probably didn't believe they had their back when they were employed either before the layoff. Um, but it also looks at team support. And this goes back years. I mean, we all, we all know that the most important ties are with your coworkers and with your manager. And people stay in companies. They may not thrive and be engaged, but at least they don't quit. Um, if, if you have a good manager, if they believe that the manager and the team workers have their back. So it's company support, team support. Uh, and then you look at uh, the, the work environment. What are the processes in place? That goes back to what we just talked about, the things like the technology. Do people have a good experience right? when they come in? It's not just, oh, we'll give you a username and a password, and then you're fend for yourself. Uh, figure it out. Oh, the person who usually onboards people is off for a month on a, a, a maternity leave. Uh, when they come back, they'll, they'll teach you how to use the system. Now, that, that doesn't cut it either. Um, so we've got company support, team support, work environment. Uh, we also look at the emotional health. Where's their head? Yeah. You know, what's their well-being? And and you can't fix well-being without fixing those other things. <laughs> but it's important to at least assess that. And then the final uh, factor that we measure, we try to measure, is work stress. You know, yeah. is the job yeah. stressful? So being, you know, being a, a, a fireman, a policeman, um, uh, being a politician, being a uh, a, physi- a a first responder, a physician, or a nurse in a, tri- a trauma center. Okay, those are high stress jobs. Um, and there's what can you do to mitigate that? At least not make it worse. But then you have other jobs that aren't really that stressful. I mean, there's all stress. There's just stress in all jobs. But don't make you know most accounting offices probably don't have really toxic cultures. But it does. The bar is lower, and if you make it, you know, if you say, "Oh, we can get away with it," because for whatever reason, uh, the people are going to leave to go to another organization. Because, but it's not inherent in in an accounting job. Um, but companies seem to say, "Oh, every job every job's stressful, and a little bit more stress won't harm anybody." Hmm. Well, it does because then that affects their health and then it affects their well-being and it affects their absenteeism and the showing up and their productivity and their performance. And then they they quiet quit or they quit, um, just outright quit. Yeah, it does. It eventually is surmountable. So is com- management still has this thing about fixing people where the organization itself has to learn to create an environment that allows people not to shift or die. <laughs> they, they, they help them shift, but then they have to create an environment that nurtures that, that feeds them, that supports that. Uh, and then likewise, a lot of times people have the right skills. You hire the, you hire the right people. They have grit and resilience and growth mindset and they're ready to thrive. And then they die in the environment. And that's, we see a lot of that. I mean, I, I we, we measure organizations, um, you know, the individuals, and people in general have average skills to be able to adapt. They're not, they're not at a loss. They have average skills they could improve, but they're okay. But the environment just kills it. Yeah. it it's gonna, like bringing, go ahead. 
So you have mentioned something that is quite interesting because it opens the Pandora box about how we are organizations are, are creating capabilities for the uh, for the people. Uh, it's about these all these meta skills that you have mentioned, resilience, growth mindset. We are not doing enough, and and I I totally agree. We cannot learn that with a one hour uh, e-learning from LinkedIn Learning. Uh, we cannot learn that with an awareness session by a coach or by a guru on resilience. So and. I have the impression that there, there is a huge gap in terms of how we train people to build this mental capacity to, and the understanding also that this is a habit creation process. So it cannot be solved with watching a movie. It has to be practiced regularly and nobody has the time for, for, uh, for that. So th there is something to be reworked in terms of uh, in order to create healthy, non-toxic uh, work cultures. Oh, you're absolutely correct. And I, I keep going back to growth mindset because I don't, I don't know how, I wasn't aware of what it even was, but then I reflect on my life and see where my fixed mindset was going through school. And, you know, I don't want to take that course because what if I get a B or what if I look stupid? And so, but growth mindset affects everything. If you don't have, it's not just having an open mind. It's, it's having an open mind and being vulnerable understanding that the, you will make mistakes while you're practicing and you will learn from those mistakes uh, and creating that opportunity. So it's both helping the individual and creating an environment, helping management managers and other people support that. The, the challenge, and but the solution is, it's not like, oh, well, that seems like, I mean, how do you transform people's mind? How do you change their behaviors? How do you get inside their head? So and this is just one example, but we created a growth mindset program, but it, and I didn't do it. I mean, I, I provided the idea, the concept. And we work with an educational company that work, that focuses on business. And it's not a matter of, oh, we have a, a series of videos. And it's micro learning. Mm -hmm. It's five minutes a day, maybe six, maybe seven, some days, five, six, seven minutes. Watch this video and think about it. Here's a question. Think about this till tomorrow. So for 22 out of 30 days, we send an email or a text. Mm -hmm. And it introduces the concept of fixed and growth mindset. Identify a behavior that, that here's a fixed mindset you have. Here's, a, here's a, a, an op, a time when you exhibited growth mindset. Show them videos. Walk them through some of the stories. We have a, what we call the Yeti challenge. And a Yeti challenge is, is I'm not very good at math or I'm not good at public speaking yet, mm. which changes the whole dynamic <laughs> yet. I, so yet I, yet I will do something. What's that something? And to maybe speak with my manager, take a course, take time to relax, what, uh, get a tutor, read a book, go back to school, whatever it might be. Um, it's just something simple. And we don't necessarily do it to the business. We say, what's something in your life that you're not very good at, but it would help you? Even if you were average at it, it would help you. And then walk through the process of trying that. It's five minutes a day. Mm. By email or text, and text is obviously the most popular, that people do it. And as soon as they get it, you see them stop and they read it. And we can't get organizations to adopt that. 
Totally. I have the same experience, Ira. I They don't get it, that it has to take time, that people has to practice to, to make it happen, every, as you say, five minutes, two minutes, whatever it is, but consistency is what makes new behaviors to be created. Ira, I have, a, I have a, one last question for yes, you. Yes, please. I was just going to say, just think about what we were talking about before. Sorry to interrupt, but um, with commuting time. So they're willing to have people spend an hour, two hours, or three hours commuting every day, but not take five minutes. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I mean, that's the craziest thing. But this is what happens in HR, which ties into the HR question. Is that came, If that came down to, listen, we have two ways to manufacture this piece of equipment. We can do it. We can either have people travel all around to have a five-minute meeting, or we can do it online through text and do it five minutes. And the company says, now let's have everybody travel all around. We'll bring people in. We'll have a three-hour meeting to what we can accomplish in five minutes. That would never happen in sales, marketing, or operations. When it comes to HR and training and reskilling and upskilling, it doesn't it doesn't happen. So that, that's where HR really needs to, I can't say HR needs to step up. They need to be able to somehow persuade, and hopefully we're, we're helping people with that tool, um, to be able to do that. Sorry, but I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I like that this time you open up a little bit more about the HR topic. They they have become bet better. That I have to say that during COVID, I saw their voices in LinkedIn. So it was a little bit more human. And, I, and some of them make really unleash all their frustrations of not doing the things that they were paid to do uh, from the human side. Ira, my question is, how does the future of the work culture looks like? Like 10 years from now, what are the, the, the future trends that you see happening in terms of work cultures? I'll take you to the end and then we can, I know we're getting late into this and we've been talking a while, I'd love to come back sometime. Uh, it's gonna come down to two things. Um, it's gonna come down to meaningful work that we're gonna have to connect people to the roles that they have, not to the jobs. We're, we're too associated with the job title. But what role do they play? How does that role, how does how does even, I heard this story from somebody just a few weeks ago, that a custodian's job isn't to clean, but it's to keep the environment safe or to help create a safe environment and a clean environment for the other people. But it's how does that help the mission of the company? How does that help the strategy? So it's helping people connect to the role that, the, connect their roles to the overall uh, overall organization. Um, so meaning, that's the meaningful work part. But ultimately, what you're, we're trying to achieve, and this is happening, is how do people feel that they matter at work? And, and that, that it's not just their job matters. Oh, we, you're really important around here. No, that they feel it. Those aren't just words. How do we connect that? Uh, and and by doing those two things, screening for mental, meaningful work and and mattering at work, ultimately we're we're improving the well. We're we're taking care of people's emotions. We're starting um, that they're well. They still may have troubles in life, but th at least that emotional stress that there's a higher level of well-being that they feel that they are part of a community, not a Slack channel. Uh, so. So it really, I, if we go down, where do we think we're going to be? Hopefully it's not 10 years, hopefully it's five. Uh, and, and hopefully it's a, it's a fast 
uptick that we're going to, we're not just going to see more talk about meaningful work and as I said, a marketing buzz and mattering at work. Um, but that's, that's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the role of what company cultures look like. That That's the cure for a toxic culture because you can't have meaningful work and, and people won't feel like they matter if it's toxic. It just doesn't exist. Uh, um, it'll, it'll just kill it. So part of it is, is hopefully that's the opportunity. And, and I will say this, it goes way beyond measuring employee engagement and employee experience. Is employee experience is just the measurement of how well are we doing in helping feel that people helping people feel that they matter and that their job is meaningful. And sometimes some companies, some people, you will not you you can feel make them feel like they matter, but if their purpose and their role, you know, their own interests and behaviors and values, they don't like what they're doing. I I switched roles. It didn't matter that I was making a boatload of money, had a very lucrative career, um, you know, had two homes, lots of cars. I mean, I had I was the all American family. I had everything that everybody would want, and I hated it. That was a topic of my TED talk. Um, for, for I don't know if you knew, but for people that that don't know, I mean, I was a dentist. And in my TED talk, I said, I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry. And the reality is, is I could walk out of that role and do exactly what I'm doing now with the same passion, with more passion. I just was doing a job. Mm. I was filling and drilling. And the fact is that I can walk out and do something else that's meaningful. So was the job meaning? What, what I did, was it helpful? Was it meaningful? Um, did I did I feel like I mattered? I did, but the work wasn't that meaningful to me. I mean, it, is it just became routine? It became a job. It became a task. There was I. It just didn't connect with me. So some companies, some businesses, can do everything right, but there's some people that that are just going to not be good fits. But then you can help them, and you will help them find that this isn't the right organization or it's not the right career path or the right role for you. And you can either move them around the organization or maybe they have to leave and go someplace else, but at least you help them with the direction that they need to go. So back to your, what does this look like in five or 10 years? We're going to hear a lot about well-being. We're going to hear a lot about employee experience. We're going to hear a lot about employee engagement. If, if the vision isn't mad, mattering at work and meaningful work, and I don't know quite how to completely dissociate those two. Uh, have me back in 10 years and we'll be talking about the same old thing. <laughs> exactly. Ira, it was really lovely to speak to you. Really, I appreciate it. Really, I appreciate learned a couple of good things today. Um, tell me, how can people reach you out? So we know about LinkedIn. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. I'm there quite a bit. Uh, the podcast is, is another great way. Hopefully you'll listen to that geek skeezers, Googleization. Um, we're on YouTube and we're on um, all the, all the, you know, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, you know, almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can also go to my website, irawolf.com. And if you're interested in some of the tools that I talked about or that we're using um, to help individuals and organizations, go to adaptabilitytoolkit.com. So it's adaptabilitytoolkit.com. 
Okay, I'm going to be putting this, uh, these links below this, this video. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ira. It was really, really, really nice to speak to you. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Have a great day.